You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. I'm so honored to be here. I'm Chad Conley, and, and I, I'm going to start off with Isaiah 59, 14. I've, I've been in this a while. I've been in a men's Bible study where our, our leader was uh, the president of Columbia International University. They're they sending uh, university for missionaries around the world, and he's had us in the Old Testament because all the warnings, right? All the old prophets, they're telling us warning, warning, warning. And Isaiah 59, 14, and judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. You know, we hear a lot about equity and equality and all that, but it can't even enter when there's no truth. There's no objective truth. There's no standard for truth. And I love what Pastor said, telling the story of Jonah a little bit and preaching yesterday, because our God is big enough, as Pastor Brent just sang, but God is the God of second chances. And this morning, I'll tell you more about how God's used us in the political world this evening with David Barton. Uh, but I want to tell you my testimony this morning. And uh, he got to hear a little bit of this. And he said, please come share with my church because my wife, Dana, is here with me. I'm really honored to have her traveling with me. And it's so much easier uh, having your best friend with you when you're on the road for seven or eight or 10 days. And we're going to do a lot more of this as we travel the country. This is my 17th state I've been in since January 1st. And uh, I guess I've done... 50 or 55 meetings like this around just telling Christians to get involved in the culture. And uh, how I got here is a story you ought to hear and I want to share with you this morning. So I grew up in a little town called Prosperity, South Carolina. How many of y'all have been to South Carolina? Well, Prosperity is the place you would get your speeding ticket. And um, it's home of 400 or 500 counting the animals. It's a big place. Uh, we have a traffic light now. And sometimes there's cars there. And um, it's kind of famous. You've seen it on TV because there's a, there's a road sign that says Clinton to the left and Prosperity to the right. And I live over here. And so I grew up in Prosperity. I had a drug problem. My dad drove me to church, drove me to youth group. And uh, my dad did not have time out. He had wear out. It was belt clear and loop time. Here comes Bruce. And after a while, your brain and your behind have a conversation. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen? And uh, so I, my dad's still my hero today. He is a, he's a great curmudgeon. He's an awesome old guy. He's 83. And if you want to hear about the world, go talk to Bruce. And um, uh, he, he's just doing wonderful. He's been on hospice care. His heart's failing. But he's like, what are, you, what are they going to do? You know, speed up my time? I'm going to heaven. It's okay. You know, you know I'm short my lifespan. And He's lived a great life, but my dad's my hero. He took care of my mom after uh, 22 years of cancer and uh, six years of a stroke. I've, I've watched him be a caregiver to his wife of over 50 years, and um, so he's my hero today. He lives behind us, and so I grew up in that environment, little town, went to Clemson, got my degree in engineering, and uh, it's really when God started working in my heart. I gave my heart to him at a youth camp when I was 13 years old in Anderson, South Carolina, but when I went in the Army, it was the first time I really was confronted with What's this about? Y'all remember that? I mean, y'all know how it is. When you're 16 or 18, you've got all the answers. Y'all had all, remember that? You had all the answers. And around 20 or 25, somebody starts slipping you some new questions. Wait a minute. I wasn't ready for this. The army was where I started to appreciate this thing called freedom. And I, I knew Jesus had died for me and he, he took away my sins. And there's no way to, for man to duplicate that. But in a sense, maybe that's our way of giving back. You know, no, no, greater love hath nothing noth than this and man give his life for his friend. And, and I, I confronted that in the army and I never, never had to get shot at. I was a tanker. We loved making small piles of smoking rubble out of things that were functioning just seconds before. But I'll tell you, every time I got in that tank, I thought about there were young men and women 
who gave their lives for this thing called freedom. And, and it made me proud to be an American. It made me proud to say, wow, Lord, you put me in America, something like one in 17,000 chance. And today we hear a lot of people telling you how awful it is. This is a terrible place. What I recognize is the people that hate the country won't even leave. That, that's remarkable to me. I, I, I think that's a miracle. And, but there's a long line of people wanting to get here to enjoy this thing called freedom. I, I think that's awesome. And God put us here. Now, look, God doesn't need me and he doesn't need you and he doesn't need America. But he's put us here with a stewardship responsibility. And he's put that mantle of responsibility on us to be that shining city on a hill. And so here I am, I'm in the army and I began reading biblical worldview books. I, I wasn't confused about it. I, I knew that I loved America. I knew God had placed me here. I knew God had saved my life and I was going to be in eternity with him forever. But seeing this deal from a military standpoint and realizing 20-year-olds gave their lives for this made me contemplate this right in my face. So I started reading biblical worldview books. You know, the whole idea, it's not what they say, it's not what the polls say, it's not what the experts say. Here's an issue, how do I see this through a God lens? How do I see what's going on through a God lens? Because look, the world is messed up, right? Y'all agree, it's a, it's a noisy, cluttered, just mess. I mean, who would have ever thought you know, we got states now where the governors and the legislatures have passed laws that when, when they already tried to abort a baby and they survive, the baby survives, they're going to let them die comfortably. That, that's, in, that's in law now, y'all, in, in at least three states in America. That's just, that's just wicked. That's evil. Uh, you know, we've we got boys pretending to be girls and, and doing horrible things. Uh, th this whole idea of what's, what's a woman? We got a new Supreme Court justice that can't tell what a woman is. We, we have thrown truth and it's fallen in the streets. And so I confront this. I'm in my early 20s. I, I marry my college sweetheart. We're having a wonderful time. Life's going great. Our two boys come along. CJ was born in 97, Bennett in 2000. And I got involved in politics. Now, look, I've always believed uh, the original uh, Greek, poly is many, tick is bloodsuckers. I didn't want to do it. It was God's sense of humor. But I thought if Christians don't get involved in this mess, we're going to get what we deserve. Amen. If Christians are not involved, and yes, it's a dirty mess. So I get involved, not, uh, not formally, but knocking doors, making phone calls, waving signs. Uh, the boys, pacifier in a mouth, sippy cup in a hand, and a vote for somebody sign. We, we were putting our money and our time where our mouth was. We wanted to put Christians in office. I, I realized pretty early, Jesus, we say this in South Carolina. I don't know if y'all say ain't in Colorado. We say this, Jesus ain't running, right? Jesus is not running for office at any level. Therefore, we have the responsibility to find out what they stand for. So I'm realizing all this stuff. We get involved. In 2002, I actually ran for state senate in South Carolina, where I was reintroduced to the idea of rejection. Y'all know what that is. That's when, and uh, when you lose, they put all the numbers in the paper, and it's pretty embarrassing and humbling. But I, I was bit with a bug. Uh, in 05, though, my wife's mom died, uh, and it put Michelle into a, a deep depression. Uh, you know, she had had the, the postpartum blues, but uh, no, nothing like this. Uh, long story made short, in July 2006, my wife of 18 and a half years took her own life. And uh, left me a single dad with two little boys that saw something nobody should ever see. Uh, I had spoken at Chick-fil-A the week before, which is really cool. And I took the boys with me because I didn't trust where Michelle was mentally. I left her in Augusta, Georgia with her dad. Pop, pop, make sure she takes her meds and sleeps and she eats good. And the boys were sitting over here, and every Monday morning, Chick-fil-A does a devotional. And that day, I, I guess they couldn't find anybody to speak. I got to do a talk on marriage and family. 
Nobody knew my wife was at home with deep depression. And I said something I never remember saying the thousands of times I've talked in different groups. I said, you know, I've messed up. I've made mistakes. I've even had business failures. I'm not going to be a failure before God and man with my wife and my little boys. And I remember looking at CJ and Bennett. CJ was nine. Bennett was five. They were sitting over here in the corner. And I thought, that was good, Lord. I'm, I'm going to use that again. That was on Monday. The next Sunday, we walk in from church to find her. She had put a gun in her mouth. And in those horrible few seconds, I'm pushing the boys away. Go to your room. I cradle her so they don't see, you know, what's there. And um, I'm looking straight at her, and the devil says to me in my heart, you failed. Ha ha, you failed. Immediately, I felt the Lord put his arms around me and say, this wasn't my plan, but I have a plan for Satan's disruptions. And Romans 8.28 punched me in the face. Now, all this is happening in a split second, right? It's just in my mind. It's one of those surreal moments. Go to your room, go to your room. I'm trying to call 911. I'm clearing her mouth. It's, it's way too late. And Romans 8.28 punched me. Have you ever read scripture and you weren't sure what you read? And other times it reaches up and grabs you by the shirt and pulls you in. And I wasn't studying Romans at the time. I, I had not read it recently, but I had hidden it in my heart, as scripture says. And we know what it says. And we know that all things work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. I look at her and I go, really, Lord, all things? All things. And he asked me if I believed it the day before, and I told him I did. And he said, I need you to believe it today, and trust me. I told him I would. Now, I was a mess. I had a really hard time. I fainted kicking, picking out a casket. Uh, my little boy, Bennett, said, Mommy would like this one. A tombstone, it wasn't on my list of things to do. I'd never even contemplated picking out a tombstone in my whole life. We had three or four months of I was just surviving. God was good. My mom and dad were unbelievable. Our friends, our church. What do people do when they go through tragedy without a home church? I don't, I don't know. I mean, my church was unbelievable. Our little Baptist church in Newberry, South Carolina, man, they surrounded me. But at the end of the day, it was me and God and two little boys that saw something nobody should ever see ever, ever, ever. Well, November, I really, it was the first thing I did. I, I spoke at a Christian school thing in uh, Alabama, and I probably shouldn't have. But in November, you know, four months after suicide, I go back to my buddies. I'm on a pro-life group in South Carolina called uh, Palmetto Family Council. I'm on a board. And they're my buddies. They're, they're, I'd fought this liberal stuff in the state house for years, so I trusted them. So I walk in, and there's a buddy of mine who just went home to be with the Lord just a few weeks ago, but J.D. Martin. I don't know more, walk in the room. Here comes JD and he sticks out his hand. He said, hey, Bo, I know you're not ready. When you are, you got I got this girl you need to meet. I'm like, man, JD, you better get out of my face. I love you and all, but you, I, I can't meet a girl. Man, I'm, I'm having a hard time. Okay, okay, I love you. We're praying for you. Me and Nancy are praying for you. I go to the December board meeting. You know, that's the one where everybody has a board meeting right before Christmas to approve the budget. I walk in the door. Here comes JD. Hey, man, you got to meet this girl. <laughs> Bo, give it a rest. Are you, are you kidding me? I'm not doing well. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I got two little boys asking hard questions. I was not wired to be a woman. And by the way, other men aren't either. And uh, I got green stuff growing in the refrigerator and in the sink. And sometimes the clothes get in the dryer. Hey, boy, you better be happy your socks ain't wet. You go get your socks. I'm having a hard time, J.D., he said, uh, Chad, you know what, man? I've been watching you speak for years, and you're Mr. Positive, and this is not going to beat you. He said, you know that talk you do about counting your blessings? Y'all hate it when people use your words against you. Y'all, I really hate that. And I said, yeah. And he said, read your notes. He got in my face. J.D. loved me enough to get in my face. He said, go read your notes. 
So that night, it was Christmas, the boys and I were home, and I, I went back and I read my notes, and I wrote down 103 blessings the Lord had for us. 103 things that were going good in my life. And then the Lord gave me three very specific prayers. The first one was, I wasn't going to go looking for a girl. You're going to have to stumble me into her. The second was, I did not want a guy in the picture. I, I never prayed for a widow. I never thought about praying for a widow, but I guess that's what I was praying for. I just didn't want to trade kids on the weekends. I, you know, that's, that's all I really knew. And the third thing, very specifically, Lord, if you're going to send me a lady, send me somebody who will help me honor Michelle's memory and not be threatened by it. That was my prayers. So I'm praying those prayers. I'm reading my blessings. I'm going to turn this around. We're going to get through this. It's still hard. I'm sobbing. I'm crying. My boys have seen me cry till there's nothing left. Third meeting in January. Here comes JD as soon as I walk in. Hey, Bo, you got to meet this girl. Oh, my goodness, man. Are you kidding me? He said, look, you're boring. You got to get out of the house. We'll make it easy. Go on a double date. Okay, what's her name? He said, Dana. I said, JD, how'd she become single? And he hung his head. He said, the same way you did. And her husband took his life almost two years to the day before my wife. She had two little girls. And oh, that's, that's, that's her right there. And that's 15 years ago that God brought me down in my life. And he gave me three girls for the one that took her life. You know, and there's stuff that happens in people's lives and nobody likes it. And we don't get a vote and it's terrible. Everybody in here has been through terrible, terrible stuff. Everybody, we could pass a hat and you put your stuff in and you could pass it around and you'd pull out somebody else's man, man, I want my problems back. But here's the truth of it. I learned something in all that. God wasn't done with me. When he brought Dana in my life, we we're married like six months later and 15, July 7th will be 15 years ago that me and Dana got married. The kids are 25, 22, 21, and 20, and they're doing awesome. We have gotten the opportunity of watching God work in our lives. You know, it, we walk by faith, right? Not by sight. Dana and I got to watch God work. He answered our prayers. I mean, what better to send a suicide survivor than a suicide survivor? And her little girls were two and five when their dad took his life. And my boys were five and nine. And we put the kids together. People said, how'd the kids do? Well, they love each other and they fight. It looks normal to us. And so they're doing phenomenal. We've had two graduate from Clemson. One's working for Nissan in Nashville. Our daughter Leah's doing her clinical in New York City right now and serving as a leader of a mission team in New York City. Our youngest two, one's a rising senior at Clemson, one's a rising junior. And we're blessed and highly favored. But I'm going to tell you, if God wasn't done with me and all that, he's not done with you either. And he's not done with you. He's not done with this church. He's not done with our nation. He's still got a role for us to play. Well, I didn't believe that. You, you know what I mean? I, I didn't believe it. I had a hard time understanding because I wouldn't have given you a plug nickel for me standing up here trying to encourage anybody. I was lower than a whale's belly, and that's the truth. It was like the devil wanted me. And just like Pastor said, the devil wants to kill you. He wants to kill your children. He wants to kill your marriage. He wants to kill your church. And he wants to kill anything that's doing righteous acts. You know, there's something like 85 cents of every missionary dollar comes from one place on the planet. The United States of America. Is it, is it hard to think why somebody would want to take this out if they were the enemy of something so great? And so because Dana got along, came along and we, we get our marriage and things are going great and we're building new memories, I got back involved in politics. It was what I felt like God called me to do. And so in 2011, I ran for state party chairman and I got elected. And so, and y'all may know this, if you watch politics, presidential politics, there's the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary. And then there's the South Carolina primary. It's the first in the South. So I get all this TV time. I did 57 national television interviews, basically every political show on television. You can do the Google and watch all of them. 
And on one of those shows, I was basically criticizing the party and the campaign for ignoring the faith vote. And I said something like this, and I think it was on Al Sharpton's show on MSNBC, which I'm not promoting MSNBC and all that kind of thing. But I said something like, look, people of faith don't want to be R's, they don't want to be D's, but they do want to understand about voting biblical values. Amen? We, we got to understand life is not a political issue. It's a spiritual one. Religious liberty is not a political issue. It's a spiritual one. The defense of Israel, uh, traditional marriage. Now, have those issues been politicized? Yes. That doesn't remove my responsibility as a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, and a dad and a husband. As a community leader, we got to tell the truth. Truth is falling in the street. We've got to tell the truth. And so I said that on the TV show, and I get a text from a guy named Reince Priebus. A lot of y'all know him now. He was the first chief of staff for President Trump. And so Priebus texted me. Now, I, I knew the guy because I was one of his 50 chairmen, but I, did, I didn't know him, right? I'd, I'd never really been around him much. He texted me. He said, hey, Chad, thanks for what, you're, what you said. I'm a believer too. I appreciate you defending your faith in a hostile environment because, you know, MSNBC is fairly hostile to what you believe in, right? And so he, he was just encouraging me. He said, I'd like to talk. Well, that fall, I was teaching a, a class, my Sunday school class, from a book called Think Like Jesus, which is just a biblical worldview book. It's just, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? And a guy named George Barna wrote the book with a buddy of ours that you're going to get to meet tonight, David Barton. And they talked about what are the identifiers? You know, God is God. The Bible's 100% true. Pastor Dean said this. If it says it in the Bible, I believe it. The devil's real. We have an obligation to share our faith. Those are the parameters that say, I'm, I'm a believer. It's only like 9% of the people in America that claim to be Christians believe all the six things that Barna lays out. It's pretty sad. But I was teaching that Sunday school class, and I was telling Priebus, look, you guys ought to at least talk to churches. You ought to at least talk to people in the pews. They don't want to be a part of a party, but they do want to vote biblical values. And they do understand that since Jesus is not running, you got to find out what people believe in. You don't vote on glitzy ads or things they say. You vote on what they believe in. You know, I've never voted for a pro-abortion person. I, I never have. I think if somebody's wrong on life, they're just kind of wrong. They're probably wrong on immigration or tax policy. If you'll take away a baby's life and a mommy's tummy, then you, you're going to not care about people's liberty at all, right? And if you think about it, our country was founded on the idea of certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And if you don't have life, liberty and pursuit of happiness mean very little. Y'all with me? And so here I was, I get involved, I'm, I'm fussing about what's going on. Priebus calls me and we create a thing called GOP Faith. I got to be the first ever national director of faith engagement for either party. And I traveled around, I went to 43 states, I went all over the place and spoke to some 80,000 pastors with a pretty simple message, get involved in the public square. Get involved in the arena. You know, it's not just about a governorship or a presidency or a Congress. It's school boards, y'all. Think about what's going on in school boards. I was all over Virginia this past year. And, you know, there was a dad. I don't know if y'all saw this guy in Loudoun County. I got to meet that guy. His daughter was raped by a guy who pretended to be a girl. The school district covered up for the kid. Because he had already been moved from a different school district before. And that dad shows up to defend his daughter's honor. How many of you dads? I'd be right there, right? I'm not sure I could have had the gumption to stand there. They got so mad at him because he's pointing out they hid this kid. And the kid raped his 15-year-old daughter. He got arrested for not wearing a mask in the meeting. And I'm telling you, what we found out is those people are coming to our churches. You know, one reason I love your pastor 
is he knew that he had to obey God rather than man. And he opened this church and he said, we're going to have church because people need the church. I know what Dana and I have seen in our little Baptist churches. We got people who've come to our church from churches that some of them still are barely opened. You know, they're, they're afraid. They put fear above faith. They put fear above facts. And they won't even open it. So we've got all these people that want to hear the truth. And that's what we found out in Virginia this year. And so I went all over the country. We got involved. We just said, Christians, go vote biblical values. Don't make it about a party. Don't make it about a politician. And certainly not, not about a personality. But Christians need to engage this culture. You know what it tells you when a school board will pass laws like anybody can go to any restroom. When you see that happen in a school board, there's not a Christian on there with a backbone on that whole school board. Because if there's a grandmama in here, grandmamas or mamas or daddies or granddaddies, and somebody had said, oh, we're going to let a boy, it feels like a girl, go to the restroom. Not, not with my granddaughter. Not with my daughter. No, no, no. <laughs> we're not doing that. Not going to happen here. And all it tells me is Christians have escaped the public arena. We've given up on it. We've let the, the people who hate what we believe in. You know, as I was doing all those media interviews, I, it, it occurred to me, they really hate what I stand for and what I believe in. They, they hate it. You know, I did enough of those interviews. I remember doing one on, M on NBC, and the lady was so angry and negative. I told my staff, I'm not doing this show again. Not going to do it again. They're just spitting this vitriol and this anger, and it was about anger at Christianity. How can you be a Christian? How can you be a Christian and be involved in politics? Listen, here's what I think has happened. I believe people who hate our God have tried to define our involvement. Ooh, you Christians, you shouldn't be involved in politics. You're going to offend somebody. And, and Above all, we don't want to offend anybody. We walk on eggshells. We, we put on our turn the other cheek, Jesus, because we, we don't want to offend anybody. But I got to tell you, with stuff going on like this, we better find our turn the tables over Jesus. There's a place for righteous indignation and for telling the truth. And we can't even identify what a woman is in some circles at the highest level of America. It tells me that we've bought into the lie. We've let people who hate our God define for us what we ought to be doing. Look, my God's big enough. He's in everything. God's enough. We just sang a song. God's enough. God's big enough. God's got this. But he expects us to do our part. We have an obligation. I remember when Dana and I first got married. And she, had, she was pretty new to this political thing, right? And this was in 08. So it's a hypersensitive time. And so I taught my boys, we vote for teams. Because, you know, we're Clemson fans. And you, sports makes sense to them. And you vote for this and you vote for that. So we're driving down Main Street in Newberry, and my little guy, Bennett, he's seven and a half at the time. Dana and I hadn't been married a year, right, babe, maybe a year. And a deacon buddy of mine from my church has the other team sign in the yard. So we go by there, and Bennett said, Dad, Mr. Jim's got the other team sign in his yard. Why does Mr. Jim vote for that team? I said, man, Bennett, I've talked to Mr. Jim in deacon beatings. I don't understand it. He said, now, why don't we like that team? So, well, there's a lot of reasons I don't like that team, but the biggest one's abortion. I, I, can't, I can't support abortion in any way, shape, or form. We're all made in God's embers, fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in our mother's wombs. So, Bennett said, now, what's abortion? How many of y'all have ever been explaining something to your kid and you realize I should have shut up a little bit before? I'm, I'm in over my head. And Bennett says, what's abortion? I said, well, abortion's when they, they kill a baby in the mommy's tummies. They what? They what? So, Bennett goes to our little private school the next day, and he decides he should tell others. And so... In the lunchroom, there's probably 30 or 40 kids there, and Bennett stands on the chair, and he says, we don't vote for that team because they kill babies in mommy's tummies, which created some phone calls. And <laughs> the teacher calls the headmaster, calls Dana. Dana calls me, what are you going to do? I said, I'm buying that kid an ice cream cone tonight. He's got this thing straight. He has it right. 
Bennett is now a rising senior at Clemson. And uh, he and his girlfriend, they're going to get engaged this fall, started a group called Tigers for Life. So a year ago, last summer, actually about this time, Bennett called me on a Saturday morning and said, Dad, I'm so excited. Every Saturday, they were taking their broke, they're broke college kids, right? They're taking their money and they're renting ladders because the abortion clinic in Greenville, South Carolina, which is about 30, 40 minutes from Clemson, they built these high walls around it because people were going there and just praying. They weren't saying anything. They weren't demonstrating. They were just praying for the girls. They were going through this stuff, right? So they rent this tall ladder to get over the, the, the wall. And Bennett calls me and said, Dad, I'm so excited. Today a girl decided not to abort her baby because she saw us there praying for her. Is that cool? Is that cool? Tramp a child, right? And that same kid who understood about abortion at seven is now 21 years old and starting a group called Tigers for Life. I I think that's remarkable. We need to stand for truth in this time like never before. I got to tell you, I think something's going on. I've been in enough states now. I was in the People's Republic of New Jersey last week. And I I tell you, I, I, I met a Jewish rabbi. This rabbi is a direct descendant of the Levitical order. He is a judge. He's a direct descendant of Levi, as in the Levi. And this guy... Uh, he, he is Orthodox Jew. I was in Lakewood, New Jersey, and I did a lunch meeting with these 18 rabbis and probably 20 or 25 uh, Jewish leaders in the community. This guy decided he was going to open his synagogue, and the governor sent the sheriff after him specifically. Rabbi Klofner was pulled to the concrete by his beard, and another rabbi showed me a video on his phone when the police officers were saying, words you and I wouldn't say, but the words I would say that they re- I could repeat was, you dirty Jews. You know, we've been through this before, right? <laughs> there, there was a country just, just east of here, like 80 years ago, that tried this stuff about segregating and separating people, and it's dangerous, and it's scary, and it's a front to every freedom-loving person in the world. You know, I, I bet Pastor Dean knows a pastor in Burbank, California named Nick Reed. You probably know Pastor Nick, young guy. And I went to Nick's church last year uh, in August. And uh, Nick, Nick was going to open his church. He pays 18000 a month for his, his uh, rental of his building. He's got a heart for the inner city. And Burbank's right there at LA, not lower Alabama, it's Los Angeles. And Los Angeles looks like a bomb went off. It's dirty, trashy. There's homeless tents everywhere. It's disgusting. Our buddy of ours named Pastor Peter Moore drove me down through there to meet with Nick Reed. And I was in Nick Reed's church. And we had about, I don't know, 18 or 20 pastors. And Nick was determined to have a church, but he had to limit the number of people. He's got 200 people coming. He can't use the parking lots. He's only got 51 parking spaces for his 200 people. And he's in a city, but he's got a heart for the people. And he can't meet them all in the church. So they meet 12 times on Saturday and Sunday so Nick can feed these people. Nick said, not a single time if I had my service, there wasn't a bureaucrat from the health department measuring how far apart they were. This is California. I walked out of Nick Reed's church, I don't know, maybe this far. I looked down the street and there's 40 to 50 homeless tents, no exaggeration. No mass, no distance, and no bureaucrat measuring how far apart they were. That's when I started thinking something's going on. This is a target against churches. You know, Dana and I got to go to Auschwitz and Birkenau a few years ago with a guy named Huckabee. He invited 50 faith leaders and, I don't know, couldn't find anybody, so he invited us. So we got to go with him. Birkenau and Auschwitz and Poland were not on my list. 
You know, think, I don't, why would I go there? I'll tell you, it changed our lives to go there. And it made me go back and read a book by a friend of mine named Andy Andrews, who's a Christian speaker. How do you kill 11 million people? How, how did the Holocaust happen? How did, they, how did they segregate these people out? Have y'all noticed this is what happens to Christians? Those Christians, they're extremists and they're out of line and, and we can't have this. this is, we, we can't have this. This is, this is hate speech. It's, it's happening. So I'm reading Andy's book and Andy was asking the question, how did these people allow all these Jews to be killed? How, how did this happen? Because the pictures you see, there are two Nazi guards, right? And there's a, there's a cattle car full of families and a lot of men. How many of you men think two machine guns and two Nazi guards are not going to let them, I'm not letting them burn my family alive. Amen? There, there's a lot of men still. That, really, that ain't going to happen. I may go down, but that's not going to happen. Well, you got to know the story. you got to understand your history, which is why we're bringing you David Barton tonight. Because people don't know history. And you got to know that back in the early 30s, the Nazis started to identify and segregate the Jews. Hey, just y'all need to wear this yellow star because we can identify you so we can keep you safe. There are people who hate you and what you believe in, so we need to keep you safe and put you over here. And we're going to put you in this area here, and we just want to keep you right over here. And we're going to have to build a wall because the war is coming, and we're going to put you over here to keep you safe. Hey, look, war's not going well. We're going to have to take you someplace safer. So we're going to put you in a, a train and we're going to take you away to a safe place, better schools, more land. And, and listen, dads, if you're upset and rebellious, your wives, your children will be. So just, just put up with it. It's going to be a two or three day terrible train ride, but, but it's going to be a safer place and we can keep you safe there. And by the way, make a good list of all your valuables. So when we get you back, your gold, your silver, your paintings, we get you back, we'll get you your stuff and make sure it's yours. How many of y'all have seen that stuff in museums around the world because the Nazis gathered it? So they took him to Auschwitz and they took him to Birkenau. And Dane and I went in 2015. We went to Auschwitz first. It was a gray, somber, dark, dank day. It was just negative. You walk through there and you're thinking, oh my word, all these people, they just murdered humans because they disagreed with them. This is awful. And we went over to Birkenau, and I, I don't really think much about Birkenau, but Auschwitz has the, the writing, you know, work means freedom, and there's the gas chambers, and, you know, there's the place they lined them up and shot them. Here are the laboratories where they operated, did awful things on people, human beings, as experimentation. And they make sure to show, show you, there's the house where the Nazi colonel lived who ran the camp. That's where he played with his kids outside at night when he got off. And here's the things he did, because his heart was darkened and evil. We go to Birkenau and the sun broke through and our tour buses pulled up. And I won't say it was beautiful. It was an appealing brick structure that opened it up. And there are two railroad tracks that run about three quarters of a mile back into the camp. And there are a few of those barracks still there where they put people like cattle. And it's just awful. But when we walk in, Huckabee grabs my arm. He says, I want you to stand right here. Stand right here. And he doesn't let you read the placard. There's a placard over here. That describes there. But he makes you stand right there. Very, stand right here. And then you filter your way over here to read. And you find out that's where the Nazi guard stood. The major stood who picked out who lived and who died. So everybody's getting real quiet. And we're pretty somber. And he walks us to the back. And he points out the ovens, the furnaces. He says, today you're going to do something somewhere between three and four million people didn't get to do. You're going to walk out of here. Then he takes us over and he stands around a, a pond. It, it, it wasn't any bigger than me to Pastor Dean. and It's not even this wide. We're standing there and Huckabee kind of butts in between me and Dana. And he says, 
This is where they put the ashes of the people they burned in the furnaces over there. And Andy Andrews asked the question, how do you kill 11 million people? You lie to them and you create fear. And a fearful people are easily moved about. Well, the king of the world is our king. And we don't have fear in man. We don't have fear in what men do to us. We look to him and we obey God rather than man. Just like my dad taught me by spanking me when I was bad. We're going to be obedient to what God says. Listen, I think God's doing something in our nation. And just like he wasn't done with me and he wasn't done with Dana and he wasn't done with our little kids, I, I, I didn't believe in myself, y'all. I, I, was, I was totally taken away from any confidence, any belief. I thought, my world has ended. You know, suicide, and we could go around the room, like I said, and everybody's had stuff. And it's easy to think God's done with me. And I'm here to tell you, he is not done with you. He's got a plan and a purpose in your life for everybody. He created every one of us in his image, and it's our role. Let's find out what God's will for us is, and let's go fulfill that role. And since that day, when I figured that out, and he made it apparent to me, he spoke through my buddy JD. He gave me an awesome lady to be my wife and my mate that I now get to travel around with. She helped raise our four kids to not be spending all their time thinking about, oh, this is terrible. You know, we live in a world of whiners. We live in a world where you know, the more you can whine, the more you can complain, let's go please them. Look, the world's not going to bow down for you. God didn't make it all easy. One of mine and Pastor Dean's pastor buddies called me a few weeks ago. Man, this is negative. It's just terrible. The world's just, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm just giving up on getting involved. And uh, he, he would know who this is. And I said, Pastor S, you know, I can think about people in the Bible. They all had it easy. Paul had it. It's just so easy for them. It all just laid out. Nothing bad happened to him. No. Negative after negative after negative after negative after negative. Terrible things that would make most people give up and quit. I'm here to tell you, God didn't make you a quitter. He didn't make you a whiner. He didn't make you a complainer. You're a child of the king, and he's got a big plan for your life. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you need to get that done right away. And then you need to start asking, God, what do you got for me? What do you got for me in this life? Look, we got to take care of our families, our kids, the people around us. But we got a nation that needs saving. Not that we think everybody's going to be a Christian. That's not it. But there are foundational aspects that have made this country special, like no place on the planet. If that number's even right, that 80 cents of every missionary dollar came from this place, 4% of the world's population, that makes us a special place. Now, I don't know what God's plan is because he doesn't need me and he doesn't need you and he doesn't need America. But for whatever his purposes are, he's using us. And he's used us in a mighty way to be the beacon of hope and liberty and freedom for the entire world. Listen, I hope you'll come back tonight. I got the great honor of traveling with this guy named David Barton, who owns 160,000 pieces of original American documentation. 120,000 pieces before 1812. It's not a theory to him. And when you hear how God's role in America is truly irreplaceable, maybe it'll make you go, okay, I got to stand up and do something. You know, I've been in all these churches. We've had thousands of people who said, I want to do something. I just don't want to do. We know what to do. We, we know how to help you get involved. Maybe it's a school board. Maybe it's coaching a little league team. Maybe it's running for office. I don't, I don't know what it is. But God who created human government, the very God that created human government, how inconceivable is it that he would want his own people not to be involved in that institution he created? We got a pastor named, buddy named Billy Ingram in Covington, Georgia. He heard me do this talk in camp. He said, Chad, I just want to apologize. I said, how come, pastor? He said, I've been a two-thirds pastor. God created three institutions, the family, the church, and the state. I focused on the first two. I'm going to be a three-thirds pastor from now on. We need everybody in here to be a three-thirds Christian. 
We need to go engage this culture like never before and take our rightful place and see what God's got for his kingdom here on earth. God bless y'all. Thank y'all for having me. Love you, brother. I believe with all my heart that the church has lost her voice today. And our voice is not a political voice. It's a voice of righteousness. And it's a voice that sin abounds. But where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And listen to this very carefully. The Bible clearly tells us, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And if we're going to see America saved, we need to begin to see Americans saved. And I believe it starts with a church finding the courage to share the gospel. And then from there, taking its rightful place in taking the biblical stance into the culture that we have today. My wife and I and Juliana just traveled back uh, from our vacation. We spent a few days in Florida. And as you know, this month of June uh, starts in our country now uh, a month of pride. And everywhere we went on the first day of June, everywhere we went, we began to see the flags we began to see the celebrations. We flew in yesterday, or on Friday, we flew into Salt Lake City, and our plane was delayed. We were six hours delayed there. So we got an Uber, and we went into downtown Salt Lake and found a little place to eat and a coffee shop and kind of walked around down there for a little bit. And uh, here, right in the heart of the Mormon world, uh, they were raising all the flags, putting everything up. And I got to thinking about how bold the world is in its message. The world has no, 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 they're not ashamed. Well, Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And I am so thankful today that I know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, and I'm not ashamed to tell others about him. There have been many of you who've been saved in the last year here. Uh, you've come to know Christ as your personal Savior. And you can stand and testify with this group today that knowing Jesus is the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. And I want to offer you that opportunity today. Jesus said this. He said, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast him out. If you come to Jesus Christ as a sinner coming to a Savior, the Lord Jesus will take you and cleanse you. He'll forgive you of your sins. And here's his promise to you. <laughs> he said, I'll give you power or authority to become the sons of God. You can be a child of God today. Jesus later used the, for the, the verbiage being born again. Uh, he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you've never been born again, if you've never had a new life in Jesus Christ, if you've never come to faith in the Lord Jesus, you might know all about him. You might have been to Sunday school. You might be a church member. You might be visiting today because you're looking for a new church. But if you've never known Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, if you'll come to him by faith today, I can promise you the authority of this word. He'll forgive your sin. He'll give you a new heart. And he will change your life not only now, but for eternity. 
And I want to encourage you to come to Christ today. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would take the testimony that we've just heard. Lord, there are hurting people in this church. There are people who have been through great loss. And I pray the message today would be a message of hope. That truly we have a God who can take the disruptions of Satan and this world and the things that life throws at us. You have the opportunity, God, to take those things and work them together for good. If we give them to you, if we love you, if we're called according to your purpose. I pray you would give our people hope. I pray that we would be a church that would be filled with hope because we're a church who sees God big enough that, Lord, you are able. You are able. You were able for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You were able for Joseph. You were able for Daniel. You were able for Paul and Silas to bring them out of that jail. You were able to bring Christ out of that tomb after three days and three nights. And Lord, you're able, and we trust you today. And I pray that you'll speak to the hearts of those who don't know you as personal Savior, and today would be a day of salvation. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, who's here today would say, Pastor Miller, I don't know Christ as a personal Savior. I don't know for sure that Christ has forgiven me of my sin and come into my heart and given me a new life. And I'm willing to admit that to you and to the Lord and to myself, that I don't know Christ as a personal Savior. Would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand way up high? Just right where you sit right now. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to come to you, but I do want to pray for you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to know Christ today. God bless you. Who else would just slip your hand way up high right now and just say, Pastor, pray for me. God bless you. I'm going to pray for you this morning. How many of you would say, Lord spoke to my heart today. The Lord dealt with me today as a Christian that I would have a voice, that I would share the gospel, that I would, that I would take a stand biblically in our culture today, and that I would be the Christian that God has called me to be. God has dealt with my heart today. Would you slip your hand way up high with mine and say, God spoke to my heart today. If you're able, would you please stand with me this morning? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Lord, I pray for this one who had raised their hand not knowing Christ as Savior. I pray that right now, this morning, right where they sit, that with humble heart they would come to you in all sincerity and call upon the name of the Lord. You promised us whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right where they are this morning, I pray that with a humbled heart they would say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that you died for me, and I believe that you rose again from the dead, and I'm coming to you and receiving you as my Lord and Savior. I trust you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a new life in Christ, and help me to live as a child of God. I pray that they would know you today. If you would know have prayed that prayer or you want to know more about Christ, I would encourage you to slip from your seat this morning and go right to the back. One of our men or ladies will take you by the hand and they'll take the Bible and show you some verses and then seal that decision with prayer. Father, I pray that you'll help your people to be a bold people, that we would learn to speak the truth in love. Lord, that truth has fallen in the streets and there's a nation out here who is so desperately seeking for the truth. 
And that truth is found in the Jesus Christ. You said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Lord, I pray that you would give your people boldness today. That we would share the gospel with others. And that we would be a people who are willing to take our stand in this generation. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.